Hello and welcome to this week's episode of 321GO Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Scanlon. Interesting discussion today and one that I enjoyed much more than I thought I would. Uh, We were very heavily focused on very like concrete numbers, you know, the hard hard science of business today. And I really actually ended up enjoying this a ton. Uh, We're joined by uh, Clay Ferrer from Rig Equipment Financing, whom you're probably familiar with. Our discussion today is one of valuation. Basically, what is your gym worth? Uh, you know, you've probably seen uh, as of late there are, there are gyms closing, uh, people realizing that uh, maybe this isn't something that I wanted to do, maybe this is more work than I thought it would be, or, you know, we're just we're knocking on the door of five years of kind of the biggest affiliate boom, and it, it's natural. So we're seeing a lot of people stuck in this crossroads when it comes to selling their gym and placing a valuation on it. Now, whether you're considering selling or purchasing a gym at all, I'm of the opinion, you'll see this in the interview, that you need to be thinking about valuation. Uh, there's a, there's a, a book that I really enjoyed. It's called Built to Sell. And basically, it's it, the premise is this, and I talk about this all the time. Anytime I've done business coaching with anybody, is you know, there's just a few ways that a business wraps up, right? Uh, a business winds winds down either by you selling the business, which is kind of what we're talking about today. Uh, you hand the business off to somebody else. Uh, when you hand that business off to somebody else, you can either retain a portion of ownership and collect sort of passive income from it or you can just you know pass it down to a child uh, you know those are two options and and unfortunately the third option is that you go out of business you know there's there's not a ton of other alternatives whereas you know if you have a job and you work for a company you know the the way that your position uh, changes either you know you're demoted, you can be promoted, you can be transferred to another office. Like there's just a lot more possibilities when it comes to like a career. Entrepreneurship is much different in that respect. So, on one hand, this conversation with Clay is all about putting numbers to your business, the different valuation approaches that we can take in your business. But in a broader sense, and how I would like you to think about this, because I'm guessing very few of you listening to this right now are legitimately thinking about selling or purchasing a gym. Uh, So let's just say the vast majority of us right now are just operating our gym. We're trying to grow. We're trying to uh, increase our revenue. We're trying to provide more for our family. We're maybe trying to make the leap to full-time gym ownership. These are all great things. So what is our takeaway from this? Our takeaway is that you need to set your business up as if you were going to sell it one day. That means you have systems and processes in place. That means that you budget, you create a budget to where everybody that does something in your gym is paid for doing that thing, including yourself. So you may be swapping out for memberships right now. You may be working and coaching for free right now as the business owner and feel like you're breaking even, you're actually not breaking even because you're not compensating yourself and you're not compensating the people around you 
at a market rate. So that should be our takeaway. Is that you can, you know, you can't take a meaningful salary. You can take meaningful profit distributions from your business. You can pay people around you to coach your classes and, and clean your bathroom. All of these different things. This is what a robust business that is built to sell looks like. And then the added benefit is that your business becomes better as a result of operating like this. You end up making more money, providing more for your family and the families of those that work for you. But then there's this added benefit of when the day comes that you may want to step away from your gym, it's A, valued higher. You've got a higher valuation because of the way you set this business up. And B, at the point that you're ready to step away from it, you potentially could just step right away from that and continue to, to make money from that gym. The gym becomes an asset to you, not a liability. So I think that's the thing that we need to take away from this. Even though we go down the road with some accounting and we start talking about asset depreciation and and your books and profit and loss, all of these different things. Really, our takeaway needs to be, let's set this thing up as if we're going to sell it next year. How do we make this bad boy as valuable as possible? Let's pretend like we're going to sell this business and then operate accordingly. Cool. Announcements. If you want to see a Q&A with Clay, if you want to take a profit-first accounting course, for example, all of these things exist on our hub platform, 321goproject.com slash hub. If you're ready to create this business that is ready to sell and you don't know where to start, this is a great place to start. Our hub platform, it's, it's basically an online MBA for gym owners. There's a bunch of courses. Not only is there educational content, but there are downloadable templates that you can use for your business, including an accounting spreadsheet that helps you adopt this profit-first accounting principle, for example, that all exists in there. So you don't need to create this stuff on your own. Your first month in Hub is only $10. I mean, seriously, it's $10. Hop in there, check it out, see what you think. If you don't like it, cancel it. All good. Next, if you are a member of our Hub platform, we have a gathering coming up. November 17th through the 19th in Charleston, South Carolina. You know, we were talking about this with our, you know, our, our team of business coaches at 321Go. We're all in a mastermind together. And we get together every couple weeks and we kind of talk about things that are going on in our business and in our personal lives. It's a great time. But we were talking about this idea of a seminar or a gathering and there's all these gatherings that are always happening and they're very educational it's the same thing you sit in a hotel and you listen to somebody talk for three days you get super excited and then you go back to your business and eh, maybe you do something for a couple weeks maybe you don't you typically don't right it's just kind of like working out it's like you you know new year's resolution you guys see it all the time like people set a new year's resolution they're gung-ho for three weeks and then they just kind of pilfer out and mainly that's because they don't have a plan for execution so we thought about all right how do we make this thing meaningful instead of people just sitting in a room and jotting down notes in a notebook for an entire weekend and really turning around and not doing anything what if we actually made this thing directed toward executing 
on the new year. Okay, New Year's coming up. You're going to have a ton of people interested in fitness and getting in shape and losing weight. What if we geared this entire weekend towards creating a marketing plan for the new year, setting up your your templates, your email automations, your your website forms, uh, talking about how to execute on a Facebook or Instagram ad campaign? What if we talked about revamping your on-ramp structure? So when these people come in, you've got this rock-solid on-ramp that retains them for the long term. What if we talked about capitalizing on all of these people that are coming to your gym in the new year and we taught you how to introduce personal training and we gave you templates to execute on this thing? What if we actually created a plan that you start in January and last you through all of 2018? So that's kind of where we landed on this thing. It's awesome. I get it. It's like really cool to take courses and learn things and get super jazzed up and inspired. But at the end of the day, it really doesn't mean anything unless you execute on it. So that's our focus for this. Our focus for this gathering in Charleston is that you walk away with a template and a plan and just like a week-by-week schedule of here's the work I'm doing this week. So if you are a member of the Hub, check out the show notes. There's a link. Register. There's only 65 spots available there. So get it on your calendar. It's going to be tough, but listen, you're going to see a return on this investment. Absolutely, you'll see a return on it, and that's why we geared it towards a new year because we want you to see a return on this investment in the first few months after you get home. So, another big thank you to a partner for the show, InBody USA. InBody is a high tech bioelectrical impedance, it's a body composition scanner. Uh, basically, your members hop on it, and in about 20 seconds, They'll know their body fat percentage, their hydration, their lean tissue, all this great stuff. Good, measurable data that you can use as a value add for your members. You can use it to uh, portray more value in your personal training services. You can use it to launch nutrition services. Whatever you want to do, use it for whatever you want. But uh, it's a great data point. It's not a magic bullet. It's an addition to your existing services. So, InBody USA, if you're interested in checking it out, they're running a, a special for our listeners in October. If you get an InBody, they will pay for your first monthly installment of a 24 month zero interest payment plan. They will also extend your warranty for a second year for free. So, check it out. Email John Ross. His email address is in the show notes. Also, reach out to me if you're on the fence about this and you have any questions. I'd be happy to tell you how we're using this, be happy to connect you with one of the members of our team that is using this in their gym. Uh, But at any rate, InBody USA, check them out. Email John if you want some more information about getting a machine in your gym. Now, on to the show with Mr. Clay Ferrer talking about what your gym is worth. Uh, This is a discussion about different valuation methods and what is our takeaway from looking at the actual value of our gym. Enjoy, and we'll see you next week. All right. So welcome, uh, Gym Owners Growth Summit. We're talking with Clay Ferrer from Rig Equipment Finance. Uh, Clay, welcome to the Gym Owners Growth Summit officially. How are you? I'm doing well, Matt. Thank you. And we're you know super excited to be a part of this great event. Yeah. And so uh, those of you watching this should know that Rick Quitman is an instrumental partner of ours in, in putting this thing on. So not only are they an awesome partner, 
but they uh, are going, you know, Clay's going to provide some very tangible things for us to begin thinking about valuing our gyms. And um, Clay, I want to start the, the conversation off like this. Um, when I first do any sort of business coaching with a gym owner, I ask them right off the bat to think about the logical exit strategy of their business. And oftentimes when we first start a business, we're so gung ho about it that we don't think that there are not, there are very few scenarios in which a business uh, comes to an end. Uh, first, unfortunately, is that somebody goes out of business. Simply put, you know, you just uh, can't quite cut it. Your expenses are too high. You're not bringing enough income and you go out of business. Uh, from there, you sell your business to somebody else. And, and lastly, you hand that business over or a large chunk of that business over to somebody else and you become sort of this passive owner. So either you're passing it down to your kids or, you know, you hand it off to somebody else and you sort of are no longer involved in, in the operation. So in, in all of those scenarios, I think it's really important that we begin to think about the value of our business, understanding a business valuation. So this is what we're talking about today. So, uh, Clay, I know this is a really complicated uh, subject, but one that you're really familiar with. Um, why, is this, why is it important for the gym owner today to have a strong idea of what their business is worth? Yeah, and even separate from, you know, within the context of a business, it's, you know, probably represents the largest personal asset for the vast majority of, of owners that we deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. So everything from, you know, your personal tax planning, estate planning, uh, all huge reasons why you should understand, you know, at a personal level, but then in the context of a business, right, having a good understanding will not only help give you kind of a quick litmus check in terms of, right, the health and success of your business on an ongoing basis, it can also become a really powerful tool for help for helping you, you know, set projections or goals for where you want the business to be, right? You want to own a um, a million dollar asset one day. You want your gym to be worth a million dollars. Well, having a good understanding of where you are now, as well as what you need to do to get there in the future, is going to not only clarify that goal but help you right make better decisions along the way to reach that. Mm -hmm. So, uh, Clay, I remember early on in my business uh, grinding it out for. 14, 16 hours a day, uh, put my heart and soul into everything that I did, dragging around stall mats, uh, staying up till all hours of the night. I, as a result of all of that work that I put in, I would like to think my business is worth $10 million, uh, <laughs> but it probably is not. So this is a, a subjective exercise. You, how can we begin to think about this very subjective feeling about the valuation and then meeting that in the middle with uh, what, what is actually on paper. Yeah, and that's a, a, a totally understandable feeling, right? It's one that I can, can relate to personally, you know, with our own business here, um, as well as having dealt with, you know, tons of different owners that, that always have that same feeling, and, and rightfully so. Um, the big difference, though, when we get in the context of what you value something at versus what someone else is going to value it at is starting to write, tear down some of the, you know, emotional attachment, right? The sentimental value of, right, not only your community and your members, right, but all the, the blood, sweat, and tears that went into building, you know, the operation that you are, are, are proud of today, and rightfully so. Um, so I think to, you know, a good way of, of really 
bringing this into a context that everyone can relate is to, to use a simple example. Um, right. At the end of the day, the one thing that we know for sure is that something is worth, right, whether that's your business, you know, house or a car, it's ultimately worth what someone else is willing to pay for it, right? And so we can use that example of a car to really break this down, right? When you think about, right, maybe listing a used car, you know, how do you go about determining what that list price is? What's your estimate of the value that you want to go to market with? Uh, the beauty of a car is, right, there's kind of no shortage of, you know, very objective metrics out there, the make, the model, the mileage, right, accident history, um, and you can take all these and build this, you know, kind of profile of what your car looks like. And then there are publicly available sources, the Kelly Blue Book value. You can probably, you know, go so far as to research similar transactions for, right, a, a 91 blue Toyota with no accident history, but 100,000 miles. You can get a pretty precise estimate, right? And so, you know, that's all the very objective way to look at things. But unfortunately, you know, we don't live in an objective world right? Uh, things have, you know, sentimental, you know, emotional attachments, right? So the same car, you know, maybe it's the car you learn to drive on, right? And it's the one that you worked on, you know, out in the garage with your dad for a number of years, and he just passed away. And it's, it's this last kind of, you know, component that you really hold on to all those memories with. So the objective metrics, right, are probably not indicating much for your, your 92, right, blue Toyota. But the sentimental, the emotional value, you know, probably brings that number a lot higher to you, right? The other side of the coin is not only do we have, you know, maybe a subjective or emotional attachment to the car, right? There's also external factors like our circumstances. Um, and so if things are going along well, right, you may be very content to just keep that car in your garage and be able to go out there and, you know, revisit those memories whenever you care to. Um, but if you were to, you know, lose your job, right. Or the business wasn't doing so well and you still need to put groceries on the table for your family. Well, all of a sudden the value of that car likely has just come down, right? You're, you're now in a situation where selling it maybe even more at the objective levels is going to be a necessity, right. Or would otherwise prompt your, you know, a change in your value estimate just as a result of the new circumstances you find yourself in. Excellent. So, um, Relating this idea, so you say ultimately the business is worth what somebody will pay for it, but we have some objective measures that we can begin to look at. And so, again, to follow up on that analogy with the car, both for the current owner of the car, there are these emotional attachments to it, plus objective measures for the purchaser of that car as well. Let's say the person buying that car has a particular emotional attachment to that make and model. Maybe that's what their grandpa drove and they're willing to pay a higher premium for that. So there is this range and obviously this range with cars is, you know, the variables sort of shrink down a little bit. But then as we talk about valuing a gym, uh, let's start off with thinking about our objective metrics uh, when it comes to valuing uh, our, our business or our gym. Absolutely. And, and to, to translate right that same example into, you know, now the context of a business, right? We no longer have, you know, this inanimate object, right? Your business, it's, you know, it's a, it's a service-based business, right? So that's complexity in and of itself, right? People in process dependent. And it's this dynamic thing that's changing on a day-to-day -day basis. So, right. The, the, probably the most simplistic, you know, and, and easily the most objective of these would be to take, you know, a, 
an approach of valuing just the assets of the business, right? We're stripping, you know, what you have on a day-to-day basis down to barbells, bumper plates, kettlebells, stall mats, right? Your computer monitors, you know, any other kind of uh, saleable assets, right? And so what we're going to think about is, okay, if I had to, you know, list a dozen bars on Craigslist right now, you know, what do I think I could realistically expect to get for that? And so I'm literally ascribing a detailed value, not, you know, again, based on my own interpretation, but based on what the reality is that I think someone else would pay for this, right? And once I've aggregated that list of all the equipment in my gym, right, ascribed a value to each piece of it, I'll aggregate that up to a single number. And that would be taking the approach of right valuing the assets of your business. So is there a rough, you know, idea of, let's say the original purchase price of all of the assets in my gym was $100,000. What can we sort of assume will be the, the resale value of those items? So it's, without dodging the question, Matt, it's <laughs> one of those things where, you know, it's, you, you don't know, right, without having a better understanding of the detail, right? I think the beauty of a lot of what we do, it's, it's built to take a beating, right? And it's built for durability. So particularly relative to traditional, you know, fitness equipment, right? A treadmill or an elliptical. Um, it's not prone to breaking down or obsolescence. Two food kettlebell weighs the same, ideally, the day you bought it as the day you, right, may need to do this value estimate. Um, and I think probably anyone out there can also appreciate if you've ever tried to find a concept two rower, on sale, right? A discount, even used, right? They maintain their value incredibly well. So uh, there really is no strict rule of thumb when it comes to valuing your assets. And it's, it's probably one of the pitfalls that, you know, may touch on later, but one of the things that people tend to do is they say, well, I, you know, I depreciate my equipment that I purchased over five years for the, you know, tax and accounting purposes. And, and well, we're three years in. So, you know, it's likely to be 20% depreciation a year. I could say 40 cents on the dollar is reasonable. Mm-hmm. Again, right, your kettlebell probably hasn't changed weight, right? Your bars still spin, you know, and that concept two rower still pulls well, right? There's a good chance you could get, you know, a value above that 40%. So by taking that, you know, simplistic approach of what, right, you currently value at from, you know, carrying it on your books, uh, you're, you're, under, you're underselling yourself in terms of what the market may value that at. Gotcha. So that's a good point to, to mention. Let's, let's get into some methods of valuation. So the different ways that we can go about this. And uh, just so that we have a little bit clearer understanding as the audience, when we talk about these different methods of valuation, is it common to take data from each method and sort of arrive at a general consensus or do you have to, once you head down the road of, let's say, an equity valuation, do you have to, is that the value no matter what? Yeah, so I think the first thing I would say is it's, it's good to have an idea of, right, what the valuation would imply using the different methods. Mm-hmm. Um, the assets uh, will typically be, you know, implicit in your ability to run your business, right? You can't hold classes without barbells. So, right, to then take and value the business and then add the value of the equity on top, right, is it's kind of like double dipping, right? It's something you want to try and avoid. It's, it's really when we take that high level approach, right, assets or equity, you know, you kind of pick one of those paths and go down, or ideally you pick both paths because that'll help give you, you know, a range, right, particularly going to be a, a, a low in the case of your asset valuation and high in the case of your equity valuation. Right. So equity valuation, sorry, go ahead, Matt. No, 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 no. I'm just, yeah, listening. 
Yeah, no, so equity valuation, and this is, you know, admittedly going to be the much more, you know, complex. Uh, this is going to be where you'll typically have valuation be described as, you know, part art, part science, right, or a subjective science, because again, we're going to be moving further away from objective metrics and more into, right, subjective metrics, predominantly because we are projecting the future. And that's something, right, that, that no one can do with certainty. Uh, the, a good way to, I think, describe the difference between asset valuation and equity valuation is, you know, the equity is, right, you're valuing the business, right? The business in, a, in an ongoing state. It's generating revenues, right, ideally in excess of its expenses. So it is providing net income to, you know, the owners, right, or the equity behind the business. If you're in a situation where maybe that isn't the case, you don't project that to be the case for quite some time, you know, you might be better positioned to fall back on that asset valuation because selling the equipment, right, or liquidating the equipment may provide higher value for you um, to the extent your business, you know, is, is not in a position to prevent, present a, you know, a profitable equity valuation. So you made a point there that I would like to, to clarify uh, and make sure that I heard you correctly. Yeah. I, I sort of understood what you just said about that equity valuation as being a uh, benefit to the owner of that business, right? So you talked about having income in excess of your expenses and is the business providing an income or providing sort of cash to the owner of that business? Are we talking there? So hypothetically, let's say I have this business and business A is, has income above expenses Business B also has income above expenses, but is also paying the owner of that business a steady salary on top of that. Does business B then have a higher equity valuation because it's providing, it has a record of providing a consistent measurable income to the owner? I, I would say yes, but probably not for necessarily the reason you just described. Um, and, and one of those is actually something that we see all the time in, in conversations with owners is, you know, this inability to differentiate income to the business versus income to them as a salary. So to the extent a business is paying that owner who, who may be the operator, right? And in this case, in this example, I think that's a, a good assumption to make, right? The ability to pay the person that's performing all the functions required to run the business, right? A reasonable wage and is still then delivering right income, net income at the end of the day to the business, right, or the owner as the owner of the business, you know, I would say is, is significantly more valuable, right, than example A, where, you know, that owner is not taking a salary and is only relying on that same net income uh, as, as really their sole source or sole source of compensation for, for running the gym. So basically what we're looking at when it comes to like this idea of a salary for somebody, is there necessary cash flow to pay a market rate salary for that business to continue without the owner. Safe to say? Exactly right, okay. Matt. It's, it's one of those where, and again, what you receive, there may be reasons why you don't, you receive an above market rate or a below market rate. Um, but what you want to do is if you had to go out and hire someone or some team of people to do every single thing you do, right? Programming, mopping the floors, right? Coaching classes, doing your social media, right? Doing your marketing and advertising. If you had to replace all those functions that you do, whether or not you're compensated for them, right? That's the, that's the proxy we want for the costs, you know, or your cost of replacing yourself going forward. Excellent. Okay. So let's continue down this discussion of 
uh, you know, I think asset, asset valuation seems pretty clear and a very familiar objective measure for us. But this equity valuation, I want to continue down this road of discussing uh, methods for obtaining an equity valuation. Absolutely. And so um, I think you really think of three primary methods, right, that are at least in traditional business parlance used for an equity approach to valuing a business. Um, Unfortunately, the first two of those are not going to offer a ton of assistance, right, for your typical, you know, boutique fitness facility, right, your independent owner-operated business. Uh, The first of those is going to be, right, public comparables, and, and or public comps for short, but but comparable is really the key word there because, right, you're trying to find other businesses, right, such as those that are traded on the, you know, the stock exchange that have demonstrable public value that you can closely relate to your business and say, okay, because public company A is valued at X, there's strong rationale as to why I should be valued at X, right, or at X, you know, adjusted for my own metrics. Uh, Unfortunate reality, again, is that, you know, there aren't, at least that I know of, any publicly traded CrossFit gyms out there, right, or other, you know, forms that they look and feel like that. I think that, in fact, probably the, the, as I was looking into things, the, the best example I could find is Planet Fitness. Um, and I think most of us spend the vast majority of our day in the box, you know, trying to demonstrate how different we are from Planet Fitness as opposed to how close we are. Mm-hmm. But, right, public comps tends to fall short. The second, um, and it helps us move in the right direction, would be, you know, public, uh, what we call M&A transactions, so merger and acquisition transactions, businesses that have actually been bought and sold. So we're seeing how they're valued in the context of a sales scenario, right? The issue with, that we run into oftentimes on, in, in trying to rely on this method for, you know, an equity approach to valuation is, you know, are there gems bought and sold on a daily basis? Absolutely. Right. But do we have not only the ability to get the sale price on those, um, but also the performance metrics, right? Things that we can, again, relate Jim X that was just sold right to our gym to say, well, we have a very similar average revenue per member, right? We have very similar trends in our growth over time. We have a similar right operating structure. Again, it gets tough to draw that comparison to really allow us to formulate a strong, you know, rationale for our value using this context. Mm -hmm. And so what we're left with is, right, admittedly the most academic, right, of the three approaches, but it's what's called a discounted cash flow analysis. And in a discounted cash flow analysis or DCF analysis, what we're trying to do is, you know, rely on our historical performance of the business to formulate a set of financial projections going forward. Um, right. Those financial projections, again, the idea is that's returning income to the owners of the business in future periods. Um, but then we have to then take the subsequent step of translating, right, the future earnings into a single value as of today. Mm-hmm. And that's where the real fun starts and it gets a little bit more complex. Uh, I Let's talk. I want to define something. I see this a lot. Uh, there is a phenomenon that I always talk about with when I do business coaching, and that is artificial break-even, right? It's this idea that a gym owner believes, hey, I'm covering my rent, I'm, you know, I'm paying my utilities, and I'm, you know, I'm covering all of these bases. I'm at break-even, right? But they don't consider, like nobody's getting paid to clean. Nobody's getting paid to coach. You're swapping out a membership. Nobody's getting uh, paid to program. You know, people don't have these sort of like 
basic things accounted for, but yet they feel like they're breaking even in things. And so when we get down this road of DCF, uh, you know, this discounted cash flow, I want to know if, if you come in and you, and you're doing this discounted cash flow analysis of a business and somebody's swapping out a membership for their coaching, they're, they're bartering for cleaning. They're not really paying themselves. You know what I mean? It's, I don't foresee you stepping into that situation and saying you guys are breaking even. You're almost like you're sort of cobbling this thing together, right? That's absolutely the case. And I think that's, that's also where being able to look historically at, you know, how the business has performed helps us, right, translate those situations and then set our projections going forward. So even though in the past you haven't been paying someone to perform all those functions you just did, right, as we build projections for purposes of evaluation model, right, we want to be doing that with the assumption that whoever's buying this gym is coming in and is buying a, a fully well-run, well-oiled machine, right? They can just sit back and collect checks at the end of the day. You know, they're not the one that's in there doing that stuff. So you may make adjustments to your historical performance, right? Or your historical, you know, financial statements to add back in certain expenses that haven't been captured previously. And then similarly, you may also start to back away uh, certain things that, you know, a one-time cost associated with, you know, a, a facility renovation right? We don't want to assume that every single year, right, right, or every single month we're renovating our facility and that's taking a huge chunk of cash. Uh, so these adjustments, they do work in both ways, but more often than not, I think the situation you described is, is going to be much more common where you have to start adding in traditional expenses or expenses that, you know, are occurred on a less frequent basis. Yeah, because what we're really saying here is we're not, when we value this way, it's like we're not selling a, a business per se, but we're selling the right to earn net income in the future. That is really what we're interested in, correct? That's exactly right. And it's, and it's, it's the, the important distinction there, I think, on that one, Matt, is, is it's absolutely you're buying the right, right, via your ownership to receive this income, but you're not, right, buying a guarantee of that future income. Um, and that's where, right, the discount, right, and discounted cash flow analysis really comes into play. Uh, so we want to take, right, these future earnings that are projected that we do, right, have the right to via our ownership and adjust them via the discount rate to capture, A, the time value of money, which, again, is a little bit more of an academic concept, but, but more so, right, and more impactfully is the risk that the future doesn't materialize the way we project it. Um, that's, you know, our ability, right, or a new buyer's ability to execute on the projections, execute on the plan. Um, but it's also going to capture factors like, you know, illiquidity risk. Again, these are, you know, privately owned businesses. There's not a, you know, massive readily available market to buy and sell these things as if you would turn around and sell a, a share of stock. Um, so you have to seek a buyer, right, you know, agree on evaluation, and so all these things discount that future cash flow back to help us translate that into today's dollars. Gotcha. So, um, so risk and uncertainty are factors, uh, absolutely, when we're thinking about purchasing a business or selling a, a business, um, thinking about the net income earned in the future. Uh, can, Clay, can you think of any, like, just, you know, ballpark, you know, just like, and I know that you know, the, the nature of this is, is that there are so many factors and it is super complicated, but just, 
Can you provide us like a few little benchmarks that you've seen from experience when it comes to arriving at this equity valuation? And that's in terms of what we should be shooting for from a, a profitability percentage at the end of the day. Correct. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is, you know, another one where, right, standard business parlance, right, service-based business, right, targeting a, you know, 25 to 40%, you know, profit margin uh, is certainly a good goal to be shooting for, right? We all know that there's, you know, no shortage of different ways to run your business. And so these are all going to, you know, tweak if you have a, a higher, you know, individualized client, right, personal training type focus or have a, a large component of your business is that, you know, we can see those profit margins start to increase. If you're entirely class, you know, oriented, we might see those margins, you know, move in a different direction. So um, I think that the, the broad strokes profitability uh, metric of, you know, being somewhere 35% plus or minus is, is a good target for, for people to be shooting for. Excellent. So we're talking about these two valuations, asset valuation, equity valuation. Can you describe to us a couple scenarios in which we would use either one of those to value and sell our business? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so I would say, right, to, to knock off the easier of the two first, right, the, the asset valuation, you know, approach to the business. Typically, right, A, you want to have this kind of in your back pocket at all times. And in my mind, that helps you to, you know, really quantify, right, your downside scenario, whether you plan to sell or not, right, things happen in life that may force that to be the case. So, can't find a buyer, right, or someone that agrees with your equity focused valuation, you want to understand that downside. So, you know, whether that's your, your winding down the box, you've come to a disagreement with your partner, you can't figure it out, you know, understanding that liquidation scenario is going to be oftentimes the, the most likely situation where asset valuation comes into play, at least for yourself personally. From the perspective of an outsider, you know, if you're seeking, you know, external funding, right, to help grow your business. Most oftentimes, right, banks or other lending sources are going to be more, you know, more predisposed to look at an asset type valuation because they have to make the assumption of, well, if it gets to a point where I'm no longer getting paid, right, as as the lender, I need to make this, you know, I'm making the assumption the business probably can't, you know, cover its expenses. So again, we're falling back on those assets, those the collateral behind, right, that, that bank loan or, or other type of financing in which case the, the lenders in turn saying, okay, if I have to now go and resell this collateral to try and recoup the money that I had lent originally, you know, how would I go about doing so? Mm-hmm. You know, as a, as I say, as a, on the other side of that, right, the equity valuation, you know, which is the one that tend to be right in, in, in happier type situations. So in, in this case, right, maybe you are just, you know, out of a very straightforward seeking to, to sell your business. And so, Again, equity valuation, assuming you have a, a business that runs and runs profitably, will most likely be the way you go. Um, you may also, similar to seeking outside capital to help grow your business, uh, seeking an equity partner. Um, right, your equity partner, right, you're trying to value your business currently because you're going to give up a portion of it, right? You're going to give up a portion of the future earnings, you know, forever. Um, and you want to understand, right, they're going to want to understand what that's valued at, and you're going to want to understand exactly what it is that you're giving up. Uh, the third piece would be a, a partnership buyout, and and this is really kind of working in the reverse of that last example, very similar though, on same concept. Although you're the party now that's trying to evaluate, okay, 
what is the value to me of now receiving 100% of the profits of the business going forward and having maybe total control over operations. And, and, and that can be very valuable in and of itself, uh, particularly if you run into issues with your partner along the way. Um, but in this case, you want to understand, right, that you're not overpaying, right, or underpaying your partner could realize, and again, people have different motivations anytime we have a, a sales situation, right? If you're buying the remaining equity of your business from your partner, right, you're going to be more likely to choose, right, or, or, or maybe should be more likely to choose a valuation estimate that's going to result in a lower value for your business, right? Because buyers want to buy low and sellers want to sell high, right? So your partner may be well inclined to pick, you know, a method that's going to result in a higher value, Right, that difference there is what we would call, you know, the bid ask spread. And at the end of the day, a sale happens when that spread narrows down to the point where both sides agree um, on one side or the other, or on a particular value. Excellent. So, um, ah, I got so many questions. We're running tight on time, um, but uh, I want to because I want to leave as much time for people to ask you questions sure. as possible, Clay. But um, Let's think about some of these common mistakes and pitfalls that we see when approaching the, the valuation of our business. Like we've covered a lot of them, but just as a quick recap. Yeah, so, so quick recap, I think by far, and it's, it's probably a, really a function of, you know, not understanding, right, the approach to valuation fully, but overgeneralization. So in the case of the asset valuation, we touched on that earlier right? Utilizing your own kind of book value, right? Depreciated value. That's not what's important in this, right? Where you carry these assets at, what's important is what someone else is willing to pay for them, right? From an equity approach perspective, we have, you know, this again, typical use of, of more gen generic or really non-comparable metrics. So uh, you oftentimes write three, three times, you know, last year's net income, right? Or one X uh, last year's revenue. Well, well, why, right? What, where's the data to support that? Is that, oh, well, that's all, you know, small businesses. But again, right, our businesses are, are incredibly unique in that I would venture to bet that, you know, you don't want to be compared to a convenience store, right, or a restaurant, right? Other types of small businesses, yours is different, and you want it to compare to businesses that look similar like it. I like it. Uh, so nothing wrong with that approach. Generally, it's just, again, the lack of inputs to formulate, right, a strong rationale for why you're picking, you know, a particular metric or level. Mm -hmm. um, other things we see, and we touched on this one as well earlier, adding the asset value on top of the equity value. Again, the assets are implicit in your ability to generate those future earnings. So they are already being captured. It's really asset or equity, right? And you're looking to pick the one that's, you know, most advantageous for the situation at hand. Mm -hmm. Um one other thing, and it's it's a, a distinction we really haven't touched on yet, though, but would be failing to duct any you know outstanding debt obligations of the business. So you know, our discounted cash flow analysis, at least at a, at a high level, right? We're valuing the future cash flows of the business entirety, right? Or even in the case of of the asset valuation, if you have debt outstanding and it's a, a secure or senior form of debt, you got to pay that person first, and then what's left over afterwards is the value to the equity. Mm -hmm. So make sure you arrive at your valuation, deduct the cost of any outstanding debt. That's the value to you as, as equity, as owners of the business. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, next one, again, we've, we've touched on, but to, to reinforce it here, right, that emotional attachment, you know, what's important and, and sentimental to you is, is certainly not likely to be as appreciated, you know, or in turn valued the same way by someone else as it is to you. 
Uh, and then there's also that that concept of the sacrifices you've made to get the business to where it is, and 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 this you know feeling that you should be compensated for those. Well, I think the reality is you know everyone makes sacrifices right to get their business to where they are. Your right payoff in exchange for making those sacrifices is the value of the business in its current form. Um, the next one again, another another concept that we we did touch on a little bit, but. Um, failing to account for the replacement cost of the owner. You know, when someone's looking at buying a business, again, think about them as purely a financial buyer. Uh, they want to make sure someone's right, taking care of all the functions of the gym. So it runs, you know, generally autonomously, um, unless of course they want to be a part of it, but if they want to be a part of it, they should be getting a reasonable wage for anything that they're performing on behalf of the business. So in turn, your projections should reflect that. Um, and then the last, and I think that, as we've worked through, you know, the discussion of the various methodologies and, and really in my mind, you know, should rely most heavily for our businesses here uh, would be the DCF analysis. And, and the biggest pitfall we see there is not, you know, taking the time, right. Or having the understanding of how the business has performed historically that would allow us to prepare, right. A reasonable set of projections. If you, you know, you don't know what your you know true financials look like from last year you know oh well there's money in my business bank account at the start of the month and there's money at the end so you know I'm doing well well where is that money going how is it being generated you know when you're looking at projecting for the future the more granular you can get in terms of the trends right how things are move over time the direction they you expect them to move as well as having more clarity on the expenses that are required right to generate these revenues, the better position you're going to be to have a really credible set of projections that will help you with that DCF valuation. Um, Clay, I want to wrap up with, you know, the owners that are watching this or listening to this, uh, just a little bit of a, so what, so what do I do now? Like, Clay, I don't have any plans on selling my business in the near future. I understand that increasing the value of my business is important. What are some things that I do. We have talked to so many awesome speakers so far, and the overarching message is to uh, professionalize your operation, like create systems, create processes, hire people, train them well, document all of these things. And, you know, I want to begin to think about the owners watching this, what are some ways we can increase the value of our business very easily. And one thing that stuck out to me is this point of in owner operator situations, failing to account for the replacement costs of the owner. Now, all things being equal, I know these are very subjective measures, but let's say, you know, same income, same net income, same salary for everybody all the way around. Uh, business A has uh, well-documented staff training procedures internship programs. They have uh, documented marketing plans. They have standard operating procedures, operations manuals, onboarding programs for new clients, uh, systems that are built in, just well-oiled things. Business B, same income, same net profit, same salaries, does not have those things. When it comes to a buyer situation, is there sort of an uh, implied increased value with all of these great systems? Absolutely. Um, and that's, I would say, not even in the context of a, of a sales scenario only, but in the context of any of these, you know, different reasons why you might be pursuing external capital. 
right? I know personally, I can say this with 100% confidence. I'm looking at business A and I say, wow, they have their stuff together. This is a business, God forbid something happens to the owner, right? It can continue to operate because of all of these systems and processes. And a buyer is going to look at it the same way. Uh, they're going to say that that is, you know, immensely more valuable than a gym that on paper, right, or strictly looking at the financials may be the same, but you've immediately put yourself in a better position, not only just aesthetically, right, that first impression that someone gets when they look at your book, you look more professional, right? It looks like something a, you know, sophisticated buyer would expect to see um, versus if you don't have that stuff, but you can spend all day long talking about it. Well, that's great, but, you know, having it documented is is going to prove incredibly beneficial for you, whether you plan to sell it at any point, right, or, or maybe you don't, but there's going to be a point where, you know, your desires may take you into more of a backseat role and having that stuff in place today is going to make it easier to start bringing on the people that can, can help replace you. Gosh, I think in a nutshell, uh, you said that sentence, uh, what would a sophisticated buyer like to see? I mean, basically, I think if we think about what is my action on the ground to increase the value of my business, that question right there, simply put, what would a sophisticated buyer like to see when it comes to uh, the time of purchase? I think just asking that question generally will uh, lead us to action that increases our value. I absolutely agree, Matt. And, and, and beyond that, it implicitly is going to allow you to increase value because if you have the process there, you can hire more people, right? You already have it documented. So everything can happen faster and it can allow you, right, again, to grow your business, right, much easier, right, or the potential buyer to grow it, you know, much easier, leveraging all the work that's already gone in on the front end. Awesome. Uh, Clay, very interesting discussion. Uh, I that's I, really, I appreciate that because it's not the most interesting topic. I, I love it because it is where the rubber meets the road, right? Because we talk all the time, create systems, create processes, have, you know, have profit is important in your business. It's important in every business. And, and so we, we talk about a lot of these things as if the business owner should care about them inherently. But I think valuation is where the rubber meets the road. So sometimes if you find yourself, oh, I don't have any incentive to run my financials this month. I don't have any incentive to track all of my data. Well, here's the very tangible uh, reflection of you doing that work. So I think this is sort of the, the, the cherry on top for all of the hard work, in my opinion, is the valuation of your business. So I think it's a nice little punctuation on many of the conversations we've had over these last several days. That's absolutely. And, and, and I'll give, you know, also one tip that is not going to require you to do any sort of analytics or start having to track your financials. But the first thing you should do, if you aren't already separate your business expenses from your personal expenses, right? It's going to make everything you do, you know, going forward much easier. And that tracking, right? Everything that you just mentioned about tracking those the the financials right and your different metrics membership management software etc that puts you in a more educated position right it allows you to understand what you're doing well right and what you do poorly because obviously we want to do more of what we do well and less of what we do poorly again all things that are going to just be self-reinforcing and to help you make your business better awesome so uh Clay Ferrer, thank you so much well those of you watching this right now you'll have an opportunity to ask Clay some questions 
I will, I will intervene on your behalf right now, Clay. Do not ask what your business is worth. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Matt. And I certainly appreciate it. It's yeah. been a very enjoyable conversation. Um, so uh, just as you know, Rid Quitment uh, will be putting out an online tool. Will, everybody will be made aware of this after the Gym Owners Growth Summit, and you can begin to identify, probably plug in some numbers and things like that. Right, Clay? That's absolutely right. You know, one of the biggest issues that we face in terms of our ability to help people with the valuation component is, I mean, it's a, it's an incredibly labor intensive uh, process to, to go through this. So what we've done is we've built a, a tool where it'll effectively allow you, whether you're interested in evaluation or not, uh, to, to build projections for your business It'll account for different ways you onboard your clients, different ways you compensate your coaches, right? Are you thinking about an expansion? Are you thinking about adjusting your prices? So I think it's going to be a very powerful tool, not only in the context of this specific discussion here around helping provide the inputs for evaluation, uh, which we are, again, happy to provide, um, but it's going to allow you to, to again, set a, a firmer projection and budget that you can right, revisit down the road to compare you know, how effectively you're, you're reaching your goals. Awesome. So uh, viewers and listeners will make sure that you have access to that as soon as it is available. Uh, so Clay from Requipment Finance, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Matt. Appreciate it. Great. Excellent. A big thank you to Clay Ferrer from Requipment on that great show. So our takeaway from this bad boy is let's build this gym to sell it. Let's pretend like we're going to sell this thing next year. So I want you to think about that. Visualize that. If you are going to sell your gym in, you know, let's say November of 2018, what are you going to do over the next 12 months to get that thing buttoned up? What could you do from a systems, a staffing, uh, how you handle membership onboarding, your standard operating procedures? What are you going to do for the next 12 months to make this thing as as valuable as possible? Okay, so do that before you need to do it, right? It's one of those things. It's like we talk about this, uh, you talk about this with your members all the time, is start caring about your health before you need to care about your health. We need to take that, our own advice with our business is, you know, if you're going to sell this thing next month, you're probably going to get your act together. Well, let's pretend like we're going to sell it in a year. Hopefully that'll help us get our act together a little bit more. So, a big thank you to Clay for that. If you've uh, again, if you're ready to dig into this thing, if you're ready to build an affiliate that is worth buying, that somebody would buy for a premium, uh, it's time to start working on the business. Uh, we've got a bunch of courses on doing just this. We've got templates for your standard operating procedures, for training your staff, for evaluating your staff on our hub platform, three two one go project dot com slash hub. Those of you that are members, get signed up for that gathering in Charleston, South Carolina, November 17th through the 19th. Flights are going fast. I know you like to wait until the last minute. Just commit. Bite the bullet um, because those flights are going quickly. Again, that gathering in Charleston, South Carolina, November 17th through the 19th. There's a link in the show notes and also a big thank you to our partner, InBody USA. Uh, check it out if you're interested in getting one of these body composition scanners. Uh, now's the time. If you have any questions about it, shoot me an email. Uh, you can email John Ross as well. His email address is in the show notes. But uh, have a great week, guys. If you haven't yet, go on to iTunes, tab over to ratings and reviews, throw us a review, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>